0: Welcome to another in our series of Kehillat Israel podcasts. This is a recording of Rabbi Amy Bernstein's weekly Friday morning Torah study.
1: We are in Parsha Kedoshim this morning, uh, and I know that we generally stay pretty true to the uh, triennial reading. However, in this case, it doesn't really make that big of a difference because it's a collection of of laws, uh, and so let's just kind of get a feel for that, and let's look at uh, chapter 19, verse 13, and we'll move into our our last third of the parsha. 19:13. You shall not exactly. Robert, would you like to read?
0: You shall not defraud your fellow. You shall not commit robbery. The wages of a laborer shall not remain with you until morning. You shall not insult the deaf, but place a stumbling block before the blind. You shall fear your God. I am Adonai. You shall not render an unfair it. decision. Do not favor the poor or show deference to the rich. Judge your kin fairly. Do not deal basely with members of your people. Do not profit by the blood of your fellow Israelite. I am Adonai. You shall not hate your kinsfolk in your heart. Reprove your kin, but incur no guilt on their account. You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against members of your people. Love your fellow Israelite as yourself. I am Adonai. You shall observe my laws. You shall not let your cattle mate with a different kind. You shall not sow your field with two kinds of seed. You shall not put on cloth or a mixture of two kinds of material. If a man has carnal relations with a woman who is a slave and has been designated for another man but has not been redeemed or given her freedom, there shall, there shall be an indemnity. They shall not, however, be put to death since she has not been freed. But he must bring to the entrance of the tent of meeting as his reparation offering to Adonai a ram of reparation offering. With the ram of reparation offering, the priest shall make expiation for him before Adonai For the sin that he committed, and the sin that he committed will be forgiven him. When you enter the land and plant any tree for food, you shall regard its fruit as forbidden. three years it shall be forbidden for you not to be eaten. In the fourth year its fruit shall be set aside for jubilation before Adonai. And only in the fifth year may you use its fruit. That its yield to you may be increased. I, uh, Adonai, am your God. You shall not eat anything with its blood. You shall not practice divination or soothsaying. You, men, shall not round off the side growth on your head or destroy the side growth of your beard. You shall not make gashes in your flesh for the dead or incise any marks on yourselves. I am Adonai. Do not degrade your daughter and make her a harlot, lest the land fall into harlotry and the land be filled with depravity. You shall keep my Sabbaths and venerate my sanctuary. I am I. Okay.
1: So we're getting a sense here of what Kedoshim is about. So you get a sense of the breadth of the laws here. Um, When we talk about Leviticus, we're talking about what source? What's the source for this material? The priests. The priests. What are what are our other sources? Tell me tell me the sources in the documentary hypothesis. What are the sources of Torah? Moses. you <laughs> <laughs> No, there are, God,
2: God,
3: there are four,
0: but I can't remember
1: <laughs> the All right. So we have J E P and D, the Yahwist, the Elohist, the Priestly author, and the Deuteronomist. These are our sources. Some scholars in studying this material want to break out now some different sources within these. And the one we're dealing with is the priestly source. So we have the rest of the book of Leviticus. And then we have this that we're in now, which is known as in biblical study, it's known as the holiness code. There are scholars who now tell us sources are J, E, P, H, and D. So, some of the, what we're dealing with is who is H? So, we talked last week and the week before at great length about the priestly agenda. And we talked a lot about the priestly worldview and how we get this kind of categorizing right, of life, of creatures, of behavior, and that it's very important to the priestly writers because what we're dealing with is a need to stay ordered because the opposite of order is disorder, Disorder, which is chaos. And chaos is becoming a part of reality as we know it. So they are very interested in keeping things orderly, so that chaos does not reign, and so that things go well with humanity and the planet and all of that. All right. So we know that that's P. This is different than what we see in P. There's some of traditional P in here. What are some of the things you heard that are like, that we talked about the last few weeks that sound like tr- the traditional P? We got an offering. When something goes wrong, we have to have a way to correct it. What else is P interested in? Do not eat anything with blood. Do not eat anything with blood. Correct. And what about this business of cattle mating with different kinds? Not sowing a field with two kinds of seed not wearing clothes that are made from two kinds of materials. This is all that stuff that makes them really hinky and really nervous is mixing stuff that's going to lead to more mixing, which is going to lead to, oh, my God, right? Which could lead to dancing. Exactly right. It leads to dancing. So that is all very much pee. But we have other stuff here that does not sound like our traditional pee. Do not defraud your fellow the wages of a laborer shall not remain with you until morning. What is that, what is that about? You have to pay day laborers right away. Why? Because they're poor. They're vulnerable. And uh, as Reuben says, and as Sarah says, they're, that way they're sure to get it, and they depend on it in order to buy food for the morning, for their family, right? Um, That's right. If you take a cloak from somebody, which was their outer garment, which is their sleeping bag, if you take it from them as a pledge, you have to give it back to them at night, so that they have something to protect them and something to sleep in. You shall not insult the deaf, or place a stumbling block before the blind. This does not sound like traditional P. So this, these things are coming to us from this source. And there are many people who want to associate H with not the priests, but the prophets. That the early prophets, we know, we've talked about the priestly worldview. Talk to me about what the prophets are about. We have priests and we have the early prophets. What's going on with those groups? Yeah, so it's the morality, to be kind to each other, to be more responsible to your neighbors. Who's saying that? The prophets. The prophets are saying, it's all lovely that you priests are keeping everything going in the temple. It's very lovely that you all do the sacrifices exactly the right way and the incense offering exactly the right way and that we Israelites know exactly what offering we have to bring when we screw up and when we mess up this way, we have to bring it. That's all well and good. But it doesn't talk about character. It doesn't talk about relationships between people.
0: To imagine the prophets before the basically the
1: Torah, right? Later on, right? We think of the prophets as later, don't we? So, so this is a correction for us because the prophets do come later in our canon, right? As we look at the order of the books of Torah, Uh, Torah writ large, right, which means all of our sacred writings that have been canonized. They, they appear later in the lineup, but we suspect that the influence of the very early prophets is felt already in P, in Leviticus, that they are responding to the criticism, and I don't mean criticism, we, we now hear criticism as bad, right, I don't mean that, they are responding to the critique of the biblical Israelite cult system that says, is that all that's important? You can hear Isaiah in this. Is this the fast I want? Right? Is this this is what you think I want, says God and the character of God in Isaiah? That I want you all to fast and it's so hard for you while people are starving in your communities? I don't care about your fast on Yom Kippur if you can't live lives that are expressive of holiness. shame to you. So the the whole business here is about Kedusha. The holiness code is about Kedusha. Right? Holiness. What is this holiness
2: code?
1: Leviticus 19 is, is the holiness code. Okay. That is what this is called in biblical parlance, in biblical scholarship. You're getting a master's level education here, Reuben. <laughs>
3: um.
1: This is a holiness code. And hence, the the source being H for holiness. So it's not that the priestly authors are unaware of Kedushah, of holiness. They're not unaware of it. But talk to me a little bit, and there's no right or wrong answer, but talk to me about how P, how the priestly source generally understands Kedushah. It's not easy. It's not an easy question. But how does, how does the priestly world understand Kedushah, holiness? It's
3: ritualistic.
1: It's ritualistic in that ritual can facilitate our ability to get close to Kedushah because it, it alleviates, I mean, it washes away the contamination that keeps us from Kedushah. You're just interested
0: in keeping
1: keeping things orderly so what is could you shot in that system
2: it depends on routine in a way
1: it depends on routine they oversee that right whereas the um, prophets are
2: seeing a broader range of things because they're out there with the people
1: so Sarah's touching on a very important point shot to the priests is a little bit like, I'm going to see if this metaphor works, a little bit like electricity. They are very good electricians, right? They're very good about knowing which wire you touch to which wire so that you don't get blown across the room, right? They know how to ground, right? They know how to make sure light happens because they have mitigated this Force called electricity. They had they have the instruments and the ability and the knowledge to know how to work with it so that things go well. H or the prophets understand something else. They're with the people, as Sarah said. They are they are concerned about human beings' relationships with each other. And relationships within and between communities that are expressive of the good things about electricity. They're so the, the
0: profits are the users of the electricity.
1: They use your so they are using electricity, and they're like that. The electricity comes on is one thing. What are we going to do with it? It might be if electricity is kedusha, then the energy that flows between us when things are good and i'm kind to you and you are generous and compassionate to me that energy is the energy that the prophets are concerned with not the one that just turns on the lights right a static force that's out there that kind of just exists and we manipulate it with as you said <laughs> procedures and processes and behavior like behaviors about ritual that That's okay. That's fine. But if that's all that's happening, the prophets say, that's not the point of energy. The point of energy is that the way I treat you, that energy that comes at you, affects you. And then it affects how you respond to me. And we can either get a lot of good energy going here, or people are suffering and miserable, and that is a lack of godliness. But... um
4: in one sense, the the priests supplant the Levites once the temple's gone. In the sense, I mean, once the what the Levites were about and what sacrifice was all about is, you know, you have these extremely fixed procedures that are never adapted. In other words, that's what it that's what it says. This is what we do. Once the temple's gone and and the priests take over where the rabbinic tradition takes over. Yes, they are, the, the priestly tradition will have it be ritualistic, but now it's words and formulas and things like that. But the influence of the prophets is to give cover to the priests to become adaptive and reconstructive in their own way. Here? In, in, not, in he, not, in, not in Leviticus.
1: Not, not in Leviticus. Because I think, I think that's exactly what's happening. I think you just nailed it right on the head. The, what's happening here is well, the prophets I mean, what, what are we're pushing. Seeing, what we're
4: seeing we're seeing the influence of the prophets in the text here from the priests in the sense that to the extent that the portions that are being written in the 5th and 6th centuries, uh, which is several hundred years after the Levites, it, it says it, it's basically, okay, we're going to have these Words in place of sacrifices, but the words don't have to be exactly, you know, as rigid as the sacrifices, sacrificial formulas were. We get to take account of what's going on in the world.
1: Okay, so hold that because I want to bring that question back when we talk about now. Now. That now. That now now. now? How rigid. Ha- have those words and those rituals put in place by those critics have they become the new rigidity that if you don't do it you're not yote you haven't opened the morning chakra so let let I want to ho- I want to hold that I do believe that they are pushing the priests to reconstruct their own approach to kedusha, and that's what we see here in the holiness code Mickey in, in my
0: code, are clamoring what does God really want from us for all this uh, ritual and all that what does it what does it all mean and my answer is to do justly do the right thing be merciful uh, have compassion with your fellow man and uh, walk
1: humbly humble walk humbly with your God
0: yeah you're not such a big shot $400,000 a year you're not such a big shot right
1: that's exactly right
3: yeah, it just for me what resonates is that like when I think about Yom Kippur,
2: we have the high holidays. We have a melody that the time would sing that brings me to this place of being able to think about like what's holy and or everybody individually. And it's like what do, you do with that space and that time? Like it, it gives it a vessel in order to be able to to
1: get to the holiness at least for that moment or to be thinking about whatever that is you know? so this goes to that point I was talking about earlier that kedushah is either an out there has been an out there static force in Leviticus with the holiness code we see something new we see it being a dynamic force that, that is expressed through people's behavior which is dependent on how we use our time So you mentioned an important concept that enters in here and continues to enter Jewish life in a different way, which is how do we spend our time? And that can be expressive of kedusha or not. That is a new idea, right, that is a very important turning point um, and is what allows Jewish life to continue after the priesthood crumbles. George?
2: Yes, I just, with all the things, about humanity and loving, the one that struck me is that you shall not ha- hate your kinsfolk in your heart. Reprove your kin, but incur no guilt for their actions. And as, as a, uh, with a kid, I have one kid who would make very bad decisions, and of course I feel guilty. This says I shouldn't feel guilty. No, 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 no. It, no, no, no. it. it doesn't say that.
1: No. Okay. No. So, no. (laughs) I know, you loved it. I hate to take it away from you. You shouldn't hate your brother in your heart. You are obligated to rebuke a member of your people, but not to the point where you now have a sin. I, if I see you doing something that is that is shameful, it is my obligation to say, you know, George, I saw how you spoke to Leela and that, it just it's not okay. Yeah, absolutely. But I shouldn't do it in a way that I'm now committing a sin by embarrassing you publicly. If I call you out publicly right now, I'm ca- now I'm causing damage to you that makes me guilty. Guilt here is not a feeling. Guilt is you're innocent or you're guilty of an infraction.
2: Yes, now see, because of my own needs, I interpret it differently.
1: That's all right. <laughs> That's all right. Good for you, you All right. <laughs> it makes you feel better than Father, it. not, It's not like
4: you're talking about somebody across the room who you're not related to. I mean, you know.
1: Right, so we could have a whole conversation about our children's behavior and what that means for us and what we feel and all that. That would be a very fascinating conversation. Torah's not interested in that conversation. Torah doesn't care what we feel other than don't feel what? Hatred. That, right? Don't hate in your heart. And again, it's not really a feeling. Torah doesn't, doesn't, you can't legislate feelings. So Torah is saying, "Don't go there." Right when it comes up, don't go there. You, you got to fight. You got to fight going to hating people in your community. You have to. Um, but it's not. But whenever Torah is talking about guilt, it's talking about actual being found guilty, not feeling guilty. Not feeling guilty. And, and you're going to get me off onto my thing, George. Now you did it. Um, and I argue all the time, um, from based on a teaching of a very wise teacher, uh, that guilt is not a feeling. Guilt isn't a feeling. Guilt is a judgment. I should do X, but I did Y. Guilt is not a We say I feel guilty. We, guilt is not a feeling. We feel sad. Guilt is a judgment. Guilt is about this. And I'm not saying that we shouldn't use this, and I'm not saying we... Shouldn't say we should do X, and I didn't, and then we'll deal with that at uh, Yom know, Kippur and other times where there's right ways for tshuva. But it's not a feeling; it's not an emotion. The emotion, you know, is I feel sad. I miss the also interpretation, <laughs> but
3: um, um, I hear what you're saying about assess what's what happened. It, it's this way or that way, and I. That they're talking about guilt
2: and also holding grudges, And I feel like it's like,
1: don't feel guilty, don't hold a grudge, recruit, retain if it's necessary,
3: and move on. But like, so. feel guilty if you have feel a grudge. <laughs> <laughs> Correct? So, um, moving a little bit off the guilty thing, <laughs> <laughs> um, but it maybe it's related. It seems to me that in sort of modernity in the, in the Jewish world that we've sort of flipped things because one might argue that you know, the priestly way of being holy in today's age as a Jew is, you know what, you show up once a year, you know, right? You get your kids far about mitzvah, right? You occasionally come to service and you know what, you're a Jew, you're being holy and that's, what, and that's sort of a ritualistic type of way to have a Jewish identity, and arguably feel holy. When the flip side is that holiness is really in your day-to-day actions, everything you do when you wake up, how you act throughout the day, with your family, and your business life, and all of that. There was just one short piece of commentary in this book that um, sort of spoke to me on that, because it said that the, the phrase, you shall be holy, has been understood by some not as a command, but as a promise live by these rules and your life will become special in the process. Um, your fundamental need for significance for the assurance that your life has meaning will thereby be met. So really, for me, that's why many times after I go to high holiday services and I'm not always feeling holy. right? But I know that when I do small acts of kindness and I have a good day, when I hold open the door or when i you know, been kind as much as I can, I feel more holy in that than I do necessarily showing
1: up to uh, So comparison. you have you have just beautifully explicated the position, the prophetic position as expressed in contemporary terms. So this is what I was talking about with Richard is I think that when you said that words and prayer have replaced the rigidity of the ritual of the priestly worldview, I see what Rick is saying as a critique of the new priesthood, mm-hmm. right? That that you have to daven a certain way at a certain time, and you have to light Shabbos candles at exactly the right time, or else mm-hmm. it's not real. It's not it's not legitimate, and it is not connected to kedusha. And and I th- so I think that impulse has remained, even though the rabbis were originally the biggest right. critics of such a thing. Right. In some ways. Right, this becomes a real issue, which is which we studied from the Institute of Jewish Spirituality for this week. What we were, as rabbis, called into to to talking about as we studied a text about this, was you can follow the letter of halacha, the letter of Jewish law, and be a terrible person. If you you know, and And I just just
3: want to interject one more thing on, on that because in some ways, you know, the ritual for me is a reminder, not a replacement. So I don't want to say that you know when we do light Shabbos candles, okay, or when I do pray, or when I do pray, that, it isn't a holy moment, or I don't stop and think of that. But for me, it's it's not. A, for some people, I think it becomes a replacement, not a reminder. It's
1: right. And what I'm saying is, you don't even have to go to ritual for there to be a replacement. That's my point. You can okay. Okay. you can say this chicken is so kosher, and I'm gonna, and then you sit down to a meal, and you're a glutton. You know, and then go puke it up so you can eat some more. Like, okay, so the chicken's kosher, but your behavior with that chicken is not expressive of kadusha, right? Of holiness. So, th- so it's, a, I guess all I'm saying is, it's a tension that remains. The, you know, kind of rigid, you know, here's how we do things, we systematize it, we stay within that, and this other aspect, which is, but, but, but what am I cultivating in my life, in myself, in terms of character? In terms of holiness of being in the world and the way I am with people and and, ex- and what I do it with ma- the material universe, that, that that is more important than any systematized understanding of this is how you live, you know, a Jewish life, a holy life, uh, you know, observant life.
4: So to bring it back to what Mickey uh, mentioned earlier about uh,
1: Micah, Micah
4: uh, the problem, the problem for some is that they are now walking arrogantly with their God, rather than humbly with their God, Cur- in the sense that, Very well in said. other words, they have the arrogance to think that their way is the only way.
1: And I'm fine as long as I stay within these very strict halakhic parameters. I can do what I want, right? And that is, the prophets are saying that slippery awfulness of a slope, right, is always with us. And, and I believe that's true, that this tension, you know, always remains. Of course we want ritual. Of course we want, you know, some kind of understanding of their rules and boundaries. Of course. If that becomes the point, we have lost the connection to the point of kedusha. And I think that is what we see happening with the Holiness Code is an evolution in Jewish thought around the purpose of kedusha. At one point it was to protect us, we didn't get kicked off the land, right? You know, just keep everything going so that, you know, it's copacetic and we're not attacked by an enemy and our children aren't carried off as slaves, right? And that's all good, that's all fine. There's an evolution that we see with the development of the Holiness Code that says, but that's not the only point anymore of, Ked- of pursuing Kedusha. It should be to build a model society and model relationships then Kedusha has a relevance, right? And a purpose and, and affects things in our lives versus it's there, we mitigate it, it's in the walls, we turn on the switch, the right things connect and light comes on, right? That there's something, there's more that, that Kedushah can do and achieve in did, our world. Did the
4: prophets have any sort of a universalistic impulse?
1: Very interesting that you ask. There seems to be evidence that yes, there uh, was an impulse within the prophets to serve as a light unto the nations and that What's that from? Aleinu. Aleinu. That's how we finish the last prayer, other than Kaddish. The last piece of the liturgy for every service is the last line is On that day there will be one God, and God's name will be one. Meaning, everybody will acknowledge that yod heh is God, and will call God yod heh There was a universalist, universalistic, um, English sometimes is the hardest language, um, universalistic um, impulse that we then got very embarrassed by and backed way off of.
4: Right, because prior to the prophets, it seems there's there's really no attention being paid to what everybody else is doing. Mm-hmm. Right, it's like, okay, you guys are the Israelites. This is how I want you to behave, and don't worry about what the Egyptians do. Don't worry about what the Babylonians do. Don't worry about what the Sumerians do. They're
1: just don't be like their them. Own. Just don't <laughs> be like them. Right.
4: Right. And yet now, when the, later, when the prophets come along, or where they or where they begin to sort of influence some of what we read. In in Torah they're sort of like well you know this is how you should behave because this is just this is the right way for people to behave with each other and it's doesn't matter if you're a Jew talking to a Jew or a Jew talking to a non-Jew or a non-Jew talking to a non-Jew
1: right right in later in later evolutions of and progressions of thought absolutely that seems to be where they went and then we way backed off it when Christianity came you better believe it. Uh, so it's an interesting concept, right? Because we tend to think of ourselves as we've, n- we've never cared what anybody else does. We're, we're us. We just do what we want. But every time you bring light unto the nations into it, which we love to do when right, we're talking about how wonderful Judaism is, um, we are light unto the Goyim. Um, but the minute you say that, you're quoting texts that say, then they're supposed to follow our example then they're supposed to do what we do, right? And do it the way we do it. And, right, so... All right, so the other thing that we see here is the evolution of the idea coming onto the scene and entering into our tradition very early here. Um, Well, actually, there's an argument for an early P and an argument for a late P, but we won't go there. So the... but, but, But earlier than we tend to think of it is this idea that moves from Kedusha... Being represented in time by Shabbat, by Chagim, by holidays, and by ritual that was prescribed each day or on the occasion that you messed up or you made a promise or whatever, and so you brought your offerings. That's kind of where Kedusha entered the life of an Israelite. With the Holiness Code, we really see very, very well developed here the idea that Kedusha is about daily life. It's about, excuse me, daily interaction. It's about every single Israelite interacting with the world. Kedushah for us as a people this early is not about retreat from the world. That is not a Jewish impulse. This early. Kiddushah, holiness, is about engaging with the world. And doing so in a way that is expressive of... Godliness.
2: You say this early. Give us the time
1: Right, so it depends when you think P, right, is <laughs> okay. um, is writing. So, um, but but a lot of people and the early prophets predate some of this material, right? So it's it's kind of messy. You know, the dating is is very messy. Okay,
3: so I want to reverse myself quickly.
1: <laughs> Excellent. That is the best thing. Because, in a Torah study you
3: know, class. Now, as I think about it, actually, the concept of sacred time and sacred space and sacred words—you um, know—can act as a reminder to get you to act more holy in your daily life. So, um, I guess whatever it takes.
1: <laughs> whatever it takes, right? We're all doing fun, uh, right? <laughs> Right, whatever it takes is the name of the next chapter. So I'm going to hand you. Uh,
4: and how many pages? In each oh
1: my page. gosh. Okay, I'm going to count now. See, I have a different one than you because yours is two-sided. Mine
4: starts is a two uh, two pages.
0: Yes,
1: and notice it's staggered. Three so pages they are packets that are pages. staggered. Two pages. That's it. Yes, top we had a disaster in here last two week with the top two handouts. Oh boy. Yeah. <laughs> Just a top two. I'm
4: going to have one.
1: Two, three, this That's is uh, two-sided.
4: Two-sided. That's
3: on the other side.
1: On the other side. For Lord Rabbi Jonathan Sachs. Uh, uh,
3: first,
2: I have
0: earlier. Yes, sir. Right. I'm confused about uh, JDPD. you uh, uh, one theory that the, uh, the P, for example, represents a time when the priests were influential
2: in what goes into the Bible. Right.
0: And, and uh, well, what was their influence? I'm confused also about,
2: is it the finished uh, the, uh, the product that we have evolved over a period of time and during those times there were different influences
1: that determined what goes into this that that sure. alright so let me see if I can get anywhere near what you're talking about so you're saying P you you get it that P is when is the priestly material right That that, that, that is material that comes from the priests who ran the cult yes that is what Leviticus is right so Leviticus is P. But P appears other places too. P, every time you see this one begat, this one begat, this one begat, this one, that's P. Mm-hmm. In Genesis, you've got P. A late, P is a later gloss on the Genesis material. The Genesis material comes from putting J and E together. So J is the Yaoist, so uses this name for God. Right? In Latin, the Y is a J. Yes? So the Yahwist, whenever you see yud Hey vav Hey, it's typically a J source. When God is called Elohim,
0: Elohist.
1: it's the Elohist. It's E. So our earliest sources are J and E that are put together... Because Israel begins as a very loose confederation of tribes that comes together only in the time of emergency, under a judge. The book Judges? Judges is earlier, is very early. So they would come together under national emergency, under a judge, a charismatic military leader who had some sechel You know, also, and would rise as a leader bringing everybody together. But then they would go their different ways. So you had tribes in the north and tribes in the south, right? Think about Israel. It's long and narrow. Northern tribes and southern tribes. E is north, J is south. When you bring these people together and you say, here, new nation of Israel is your history book. For all of your young students now to study Israelite history, you better have the war of northern aggression (laughs) written there, as well as the war against slavery. You you have to have both terms, or half the nation is not buying your history book. So J and E are put together as the national backdrop to the story, taking all those stories from the region. And putting them together in a way that can bring these people together as one people. It's when it's becoming a nation, when Israel's becoming a nation state under David. Yeah. Is that so, what is? No, whoa, no, no, my friend. D is the Deuteronomist. So you originally there are four books of the Torah Genesis, Exodus. Leviticus Numbers. Deuteronomy is a later source that comes to explain the exile. The first exile. So, from the end of Numbers, they chop off the death of Moses. The redactor chops off the end, the death of Moses and moves it to the end of Deuteronomy. And Deuteronomy is put into the mouth of Moshe as his farewell address. It is a later author addressing the nation of Israel who has suffered catastrophe. So does that answer some of the progression question? And this period of time, how much is this period of time? A thousand years. So when was this set? when was Torah, the five books set when is it set in five, time you know, when no when when
4: uh, when is when when was this sort of even though they didn't have printing presses or anything the final redaction
1: so this text this compilation would have been um, By the Deuteronomist, the five books are closed after the writing of the Deuteronomist. So, but then you have, you have, the Deuteronomist also is Deutero-Isaiah, right? It goes into the history of Joshua, right? All that is also the Deuteronomic history.
4: But when Ezra, but when Ezra is reading from Torah, is he, is Ezra reading from the final version or is it still being written at the time of Ezra?
1: Ezra's reading from the redacted version, but not the full the full canon hasn't been redacted yet. In other
4: words, mean the rest of the Tanakh. Correct. Right, but the first five books Correct. have been redacted by the time of Ezra.
1: So Ezra is post Babylonian exile. Right. So five eighty six is the Babylonian exile, five eighty six B C E, so you're but but the text we can imagine stays in some kind of fluidity. For a while. But but for the most part, is, is so. it's that. By
2: 586.
1: So uh, 586 is the event that the Deuteronomist is responding to. So it's later. It's around know, 500 ish. Yeah. So would this be from like 1500
2: BC to. 2500
1: BCE is when those texts are first circulating, right. J and E.
2: And then they would have
1: gone. To or not texts, stories. Not 2500. 2,500 years years ago, sorry, my mistake. 2,500 years ago, 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 the J.E. stories were circulating.
2: That would mean when this was
1: now cast in stone, about 500. Way later. David is 1,000 BCE. Well, no, I did mean 20. No, no, so started, no, no, not 2,500. 2,000.
4: 1,500. Yeah, if 2, it's if it's to 500 BCE, a thousand years before that is 1500 BCE. Right.
1: So, but but the the research seems to put the Iron Age stuff at 2000 BCE was, or thereabouts. A
2: thousand years
1: of because we're writing, right? So writing's different from stories. Yeah, right. Telling stories.
4: Because right. Abraham predate Abraham would predate any of the writing. Right. Abraham would have been in the in the verbal
1: stories. Right. It would have been an oral tradition for a very long time.
4: But the work
2: being done on this might have been that thousand year period of 1500.
1: Of, of redacting, yeah. Of writing down and, yeah. and editing. Alright. Thank you, Ruben, for taking us I really appreciate that. into an interesting
2: discussion. Rabbi, sir. Did, didn't the priest really understand this repetition, these exquisite laws and procedures, are needed by a people to create a constancy of behavior that human beings, without daily repetition and thought, will not behave the way the prophets would like them to behave. Even if there were no prophets, yes, you need to be good, and you had to do it daily, and you had to do these rules. Yes.
1: So they legislate yep, holiness, right. because Sometimes on our own, we don't tend to make good choices. If
2: you move ahead, let's say, to today, and you look at, say, the 1965 Civil Rights Act, you can look at that and say, look, this, this is done by the priests, because up to that point we all don't want to discriminate, but now you really can't. You have to be able. Right. Got to do this on a daily
1: basis. So I, the only friendly amendment mm-hmm. I would make is it's the priests with a lot of influence from the critics of the priesthood.
0: Yeah.
1: You know what it seems as there was pressure on the priesthood to to kind of but, but the point address is these things. Is
2: what seems to have happened is the priests have run amok in modern Israel by glorifying procedure to the point that it really wasn't intended that's, a to good
1: that's why we have prophets, right? Because right. yeah. if you look at our canon, we're crazy people. We canonized our critics, right? right? The, the prophets are not saying, Israel is a beautiful, amazing, well-behaved nation, right? Who are holy and expressive. But like They're saying, y'all are messing the whole thing up. You have taken this and butchered it and twisted it and mangled it to be something you want it to be so it works for you. That's just wrong and that's not what God wants and we canonize them. And those are our holy texts. Are You're messing it all up.
2: They made the rule the end result as opposed to the behavior. Say it again. They made the rule
1: the, rule? the
2: end result as opposed to the behavior that the rule should encourage. I don't mean mm-hmm. just following... Steps, the automaton saying, "Do this, do this, do this." The idea of these rules is, if you really think about them and you do them daily, you wake up on Tuesday morning to say a prayer, Wednesday, Thursday, you will start to behave. You won't. Gossip. Correct. Correct. You you'll be even a better way.
1: Correct. That is the, yes. Yeah. That is the goal: is to legislate behavior yeah. so that we actually do it. But it does do work. It. I mean, it can work. It's it, yeah, yeah. Absolutely, we we just probably now, as dare I say it, progressive Jews um, don't. We no longer necessarily turn to the language of legislation, right? We, which is an interesting conversation. What, to, by what are we obligated to live lives expressive of holiness? It's a very interesting question for those of us who don't believe this came down on Sinai. What obligates us to act in these ways? I saw a hand.
4: Well, I'm I'm taking a music class now, music composition, and there's one um, kind of metaphor that I think applies here, which um, this guy, the teacher is looking at um, music as a balance between repetition on one side and variety on the other side. If you have too much repetition, the music is really boring. And you just want to move on. And if it's on the other side of variety, there's too much chaos. There's too much change. Nobody knows what's happening. Nobody knows what's going to come next. So there's some kind of um, really beautiful balance where you're respecting, you know, what the repetition provides, what the regularity
1: provides,
4: but you're also needing to have the uh, novelty and you know, new fresh ideas.
1: Beautifully said. For the Jewish tradition, you just explicated gorgeously the tension between keva and kavana. Kavana is intention, is all that fluid. You don't know what's going to happen next, stuff, right? Because I could be moved to talk about who knows what next. Keva is well. We go from shema to baruchu to the amida, right? You you have a fixed, you have fixed prayer because if we all got together and and we said oh Rita Ephros is reading a leading prayer today oh no right it's going to be like and then Lisa Simon's going to and it's going to be oh we're going to lie down on the floor and close our eyes and right? and and we'd never know coming into the room what was going to happen right and that makes us really anxious and with no structure, it all starts to be this loosey-goosey, you know, whoever's leading. Well, that's, that's for a lot of us not terribly helpful, right? That we, we need some structure and something that's familiar to us. And, but it's a constant dynamic pull between keva and kavana. Right now we're having this conversation about Friday night services here at KI. How much keva versus versus how much kavana? Right? If Haim sings a new melody every week, people can't sing along. But people are like, I'm so tired of that micha mocha, I could scream. <laughs> so they're witches how do we decide how much keba? how much kabana? Do we put a percentage on it? Okay, seventy-five percent of the time sing something they know. But for how long? Before the Jews are like, Oh my gosh, with this tune, it's it's killing me, right? So it, it's not a small thing. It hasn't gone away. This tension remains within our tradition from, you know, earliest times, but it is certainly still, you know, a, a tension that I wish more of us were engaged <laughs> in talking about because I wish more people cared. <laughs> I wish more people came and cared, but you know, whatever. Um, alright. So look, let's look at Rabbi Lord Sachs. So the 19th chapter of Vayikra with which our parsha begins is one of the supreme statements of the ethics of Torah. It's about the right, the good, and the holy, and it contains some of Judaism's greatest moral commands. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Let the stranger who lives among you be like your native-born. Love that person as yourself, for you were strangers in Egypt. But the chapter is also surpassingly strange. It contains what looks like a random jumble of commands, and then we get those that we just read together, Right? What have these to do with the right, the good, and the holy? To understand this, we have to engage in an enormous leap of insight into the unique moral, social, spiritual vision of the Torah, so unlike anything we find elsewhere. The West has had many attempts at defining a moral system. Some focused on rationality, others on emotions like sympathy and empathy. For some, the central principle was service to the state. For others, moral duty for yet others the greatest happiness of the greatest number. These are all forms of moral simplicity. Judaism insists on the opposite, moral complexity. The moral life isn't easy. Sometimes duties or loyalties clash. Sometimes reason says one thing, emotion another. More fundamentally, Judaism identified three distinct moral sensibilities, each of which has its own voice and vocabulary. They are, one, the ethics of the king, Two, the ethics of the priest. And three, the ethics of the prophets. We've been talking about all of this for a while, right? Go to your next page. Drop down. Priests think in terms of Torah. Prophets have the word or a vision. Elders and the wise have etza, counsel. What does this mean? So then he goes through talking about um, the king and their courts. So kind of in that sense, the... Um, uh, That kind of wisdom that we see represented uh, in those books. The prophetic voice is quite different. Impassioned, vivid, radical in its critique of the misuse of power and the exploitative pursuit of wealth. The prophet speaks on behalf of the people, the poor, the downtrodden, the abused. He or she thinks of the moral life in terms of relationships between God and humanity and between human beings themselves. The key terms for the prophets are tzedek, mishpat, chesed, And rachamim, which you have translated here, distributive justice, retributive justice, loving kindness, mercy, or compassion. The prophet has emotional intelligence, sympathy, and empathy, and feels the plight of the lonely and oppressed. Prophecy is never abstract. It doesn't think in terms of universals. It responds to the here and now of time and place. The priest hears the word of God for all time. The prophet hears the word of God for his or her time. So we have always prided ourselves on being right inheritors of this prophetic tradition. Reform Judaism really rejected a lot of the priestly stuff, right? Was very embarrassed by the priestly stuff. And it's like, get rid of it. Talit, get rid of it. It's it's all ancient mumbo-jumbo stuff with fringes and get rid of it. Kippah, we don't cover our head in the West to show respect. We uncover the head. Get rid of kippah. So, and, and base themselves, if you, if you ask classical reform Jews what is the basis of their observance, their spiritual tradition, they would say ethical monotheism. Right? Directly from the prophets. Ethical monotheism. And I think we've been very proud of this tradition of canonizing our critics who say, you're too much about your fur coats. (laughs) I'm dating myself your fur coats and your big hats on Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur instead of what really matters my question is how much are we comfortable hearing from the Bema these kinds of words which kinds of words I don't care about y'all's cars and your houses and your vacations what have you done for the poor recently what are we doing about those who have no shelter in our communities? What are we doing about the food insecurity? Right, so uh, it's interesting that we pride ourselves on this. But I bet not a lot of folk would want to hear what these prophets have to say on Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. You know what?
3: I mean, remember, remember, okay. yeah? Rabbi, can be two C's. They can be comforting and they can be challenging.
1: So, Pam, what were you going to say? Um,
3: that... I think part of your job is to um, lead us, and part of the reason why certainly we go on the high holidays is I don't want to just hear the same old, I want someone to challenge me to be better and think about ways I could do that. I think that's a very important part of the holiday. You know, it's like challenge, challenge me. Yeah. David?
1: for a little, good job right? yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying. <laughs> just feeling it out right yeah. here. The <laughs> <a> problem <laughs> when you talk about
2: a young people do or a sermon is that people coming in will hear that and they can't quite relate how that's going to benefit their life in terms of making them feel better. They just hear criticism coming out saying, you should do, you should do, you should do but not the context we're putting into this right now. If you'd sat in this room and then had a sermon like that, you'd feel very differently about
1: it. So I, I, I think you're absolutely correct. I think, and, and and I would always say we should do, we should do, we should do. Um, and I think you're right. I think it's Something a very interesting time around. that we live in, right, that that I think what Pam is saying is true, and Rick's point is true, that we it's both, and I... Find it very interesting at our high holidays now, as an affluent community, people want to come in and they want to be inspired and they want to, right, they want to leave feeling good. And so I hear a lot, people don't want to, you know, when I first got here, they were like, whoa, what is she doing? What is she doing? What is she talking about? And I got a lot of feedback that like knocked that off. Like that's, mm mm-mm. That I was, that, 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 that about y- Yom Kippur is about deprivation, so that we feel what the hungry feel. That Yom Kippur is about getting it. That life is not short, and we're not going to be here very long. And we can mess this up, or we can do really great things. But we're supposed to feel it today. We're supposed to hurt today. very okay, well, good, right? Like, and that, that there's a there's a there's a there's message there that's like, whoa. Why yes,
2: right? hmm? Don't just tell me. Tell me
1: why. Because we're supposed to feel it.
2: supposed to. Tell me why I'm going to benefit from that
1: work. See, you're not. Really not that's you. the point. It's no, not I'm about God. you. I
2: am because I'm going to change my behavior.
1: So, I'm not going to take it for granted. So when you say, how's it going to help me? I feel like that's the tension in American Judaism right now, is what can American Judaism do for me? Rather than, I really am ready to come to the American Jewish table and be challenged by our critics that we say are our holy text. But how comfortable really are we with being and I include myself in this. I I'm not, I'm not putting me on one side of this and anybody else on the other. I'm saying we as American Jews, I'm not I'm not sure how comfortable we are now with really the, well, the, the critique of the prophets.
2: generally Abuse. And giving without
1: receiving, not really being which is a new situation for Jews. Yeah. This is a new situation that Jews have the same rights and responsibilities as every other citizen. This is new. And so the benefits are obvious. The costs, I guess, are what I'm lifting up. Because you're right, commitment, you know, like... But, where where is that? Where and where do we? And this goes back to that thing of if we don't believe in an obligating voice from you know, then then what obligates us to to this? Right.
3: Well, first of all, I don't think it's a, a that's the all or nothing. I mean, so if you were talking about certain when, in those first couple sermons you gave, when you were really talking about the ritualistic, like deep dark feeling of you know, of you don't keep your eye dress in white because you should feel death and all that. You know, that may have been some stylistic stuff that people may have given you feedback. I don't think that means that people don't want to come to high holidays and be challenged. Uh The other thing is that you're given, if we're talking about morality here, I mean, Rabbi Sachs, we're talking about there's three different tools in your belt. Because it's not just the prophetic, it is the the kings and the judges, you know, and the priests. And to, um, you know, in some ways, the, the, the prophetic piece is the feeling piece. Like right, it's the progressive worldview today, peace, and the conservative worldview is it's not how you feel. If it feels good to do it. It's does it work? Is it right? Right. And the priestly piece is that you know we need to have um, order and chaos. And after 9/11, and after Paris gets blown up, people do want to come and be comforted too. So I would just argue that um, you're given three tools in your belt here, and use them. And and I would think that. I'd be disappointed if our congregation, if our members said, you know what, we just want to come in, we just want to be comforted, we don't want to be challenged, we don't want to no. be forced to think, we don't want to be forced to be introspective. That's not that's not why I'm here. You know, I just want to hear the songs, right? Hear something funny. Let's get Stephen back to tell some jokes. He was great at that. You know, and, and that's and, and, and
1: well, I think what you're what you're hearing from me is a sort of existential concern yeah. for our our people's relationship. To our own self-criticism being a massively important part of our tradition. I, I, you know, I think that's that's what I'm expressive of. Expressing, I think, is is some concern about how seriously, you know, we we take.
2: That's what I noticed. <laughs> I think I didn't say it the right way, but I said, "Tell me why I should feel this way." I really want to know because I want to lead a better life. Mm-hmm. But if you just tell me, do that. You haven't connected the dots. So,
1: but what what I hear you saying is a starting place that I'm worried about. Right. I'm worried about people starting from a place of I want to live a better life, and I'm ready to face what that means, and to do what's needed to be do done, to be done and I feel obligated done. to do that. That's where I'm a little. I'm very worried about.
2: Is, tell me why. Right.
1: But but I hear for you that why is satisfying. I'm not sure people are starting there. There are too many folks who are not starting with the "why" because I want to be better and do what that's going to require. I've
2: never been told that. I mean, today, today is June.
1: What? Well, then I'm not doing my job. At all. all right. What? What? We're gonna we're gonna need to close because I know people have to go. Um, so I'm gonna close with the words of Rabbi Nina Mizrahi. Uh, Kadoshim, you don't have it. <laughs> Kedoshim, you shall be holy. You are immersed in holiness, surrounded and saturated with life, an infinity pool, with sparks of holiness dancing in the air we breathe, seeds of holiness sprouting from the land upon which we walk, enriching our food with spiritual sustenance, transforming what Buber called I it into I thou, raising up holiness that we may resurrect life in others, or even save ourselves. There need be no unemployment when it comes to the sacred work of arousing, nurturing, and embracing holiness. There is only free choice. Finding the will to live by its code of mindful and meaningful living, holiness thrives in the relationships we create. It is nourished by loving and pursuing peace, by choosing to be part of a community, by honoring the worth of every being. It matters not how one understands or names the source of this holiness, or that all share the same belief, unbelief, or non-belief. Most crucial is that we recognize how dark, small, and seemingly purposeless our world becomes without the mooring of relationships, accepting that each of us is immersed in holiness, saturated with life, Choosing not to flow aimlessly, we can buoy ourselves with acts of kindness, compassion, and love. Build docks through each act of social justice. Launch lifeboats to all in need of rescue. Call out for help when we find ourselves sinking. Burdened by the heavy weights of isolation, illness, and the holiness code. Whatever your metaphor is a gift for all to raise ourselves up, revealing the noblest traits, ethics, and values that shape a fulfilling, purposeful life. Shabbat shalom.
0: You've been listening to Rabbi Amy Bernstein's Friday morning Torah study from Kahil at Israel in Pacific Palisades, California. For more information, go to our website, www.ourki.org.